Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Lord, we ask that right now you would do the work that we've just read about in Romans. Lord, I pray that that we would be saved through faith, that we would enjoy the peace that comes through Jesus' blood, that you would allow us to rejoice even in our sufferings, knowing that you have a hand and a purpose in it all, and that for every sin we've committed, Jesus' blood is enough to bring us peace with you and eternal joy. And I pray that you would help us to see that clearly in the scriptures now, that you would increase our faith as we look to your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I have a question as I begin this message that I just want to admit is a little bit unfair. I want to ask you, And I want to have you answer in an honest way in in your heart. What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? I I admit we are all, you know, I'm standing, but everyone else is sitting. We're, We're all in a church, right? So there's only one kind of answer that's acceptable to give in church when someone says, what do you think of Jesus? But I want to ask you for a moment, about an intellectual reaction, especially about a heart reaction, about an emotional reaction. What do you think of Jesus? Even though we all know the right answer, I think this simple question is one of the easiest and best ways I know to check your heart. So think for a second. When you think of Jesus, do you smile When you think of him, have you ever caught yourself smiling as you think about Jesus? When when we sing songs that praise him, do you enjoy singing? Not just because of the tune and the music or, or maybe the memories that come with the song, but because of the Savior that we're singing to. When you think of Jesus, do you respect him as strong 
and wise, as someone that you look up to who understands things better than you do? Do you listen to him? And when you disagree, you go with what he says, not with what you think. Do you admire his compassion and his love? Are you thankful that he died for you? And do you just wish that you could be around him? Do you long to see him face to face? Peter describes some early Christians. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him and you long for him. Is that you? When you think of Jesus, does your heart race a little faster because you wish that you knew him better? I want to be honest, not everyone does for a lot of different reasons. I think sometimes people only think of Jesus as a teacher and they don't agree with all of his teaching. I think a lot of people, when they think of the cross, they think of Jesus as dying because of some political controversy that's not really relevant to who we are today. And I think even for those who believe that Jesus is the Savior, who died for our sins and rose from the dead, who have asked for the forgiveness of their sins, I think even for followers of Christ, there are times in each of our lives when we may fear Christ more than love him. Think for a moment of Peter. Right after Peter denied knowing Jesus, Jesus is on trial. And Peter is asked, aren't you with him? Don't you know him? And Peter says, no, I never knew that man. And three times denies the Lord. In his shame, he wept bitterly. And I believe in that moment, in, in one sense, Peter longed for Jesus, but he recognized how deeply he had hurt Jesus. And, and in that moment, I think he might not have wanted to be around him. He might have wondered, is God even going to forgive me for this? And so there was a shame as Peter thought of Christ because he knew his own sin. And so when he thought of Jesus, he may not have smiled. He may have wept. You might also know some of the things that Jesus says that are really difficult. You know, Jesus says that there will be those one day, they stand before him. And because they have not lived for him, Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Their lives showed that they never came to saving faith. They did not have their sins forgiven. And there will be those who do not go to heaven but end up in hell. And Jesus is brutally honest about that. And you may hear some of the things that Jesus said And instead of loving Christ, you wonder why he's so harsh at times. So this morning, I want to especially address you if in the honesty of your heart you say, I don't don't maybe love Jesus as much as I should. And I don't expect anybody to say that out loud. But if you're honest, when you think of Christ, maybe you struggle to worship. Maybe you struggle to sing the songs that we sing to Christ because your heart's just not in it. And if that's you this morning, 
my prayer is that you will be deeply encouraged. This passage of scripture that we're going to look at, this this is not going to lay it on thick. This is not going to be something that, that overwhelms you. My prayer is that this would encourage you. We're going to look at one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture. And the point of this message is short and sweet. It's that Jesus saves sinners. He will forgive your sin. He will forgive you for having a cold heart. He will forgive you for a lack of love. He is full of mercy and compassion. And if you come to him asking for forgiveness, you will find it. And if you have had your sins forgiven, that icy heart will begin to thaw and you will find that you love Jesus more and more. Everything else about Jesus, his difficult sayings, his life, everything about Jesus makes sense when you know and trust that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. And my prayer for each of you this morning and for myself is that in the next 30 minutes, we would have more love for Christ than we do right now. I believe that happens as we listen to the scriptures because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why we we place such a priority and importance on reading and listening to the scriptures. So I want to begin today in Luke chapter 7. It's where we've been slowly going through the book of Luke. I want to encourage you to turn there. There are Bibles all around the room under the chairs in front of you And, and You can find Luke. It's in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. If you just hold the whole Bible open, it's about three quarters of the way through. It's a large book. It's pretty easy to find. I would encourage you to turn there so that you can see the things in the Bible that I'm going to be saying to you. We're going to be in chapter 7 for for most of my message here. And as you turn there, I want to give you a little bit of context to remind you some of what we've seen so far in this chapter. Jesus has been talking about how people react to him and his ministry. He's been around for a while. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He has been healing. He has been showing people that he is starting something new. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. And John the Baptist, John the Baptist is a man that came before Jesus. He was a prophet that spoke for God and he prepared the way for Jesus. He urged people to repent. And Jesus in chapter 7 was talking about their ministry. John the Baptist, he came preaching in a kind of fiery warning that you needed to be ready for the kingdom of God. And Jesus came full of joy. And the generation that was alive when Jesus walked the earth, most of them would not believe God no matter how God spoke to them. They rejected John with his fiery call to repentance, and they rejected Jesus who came full of joy. They said John had a demon, he was too strict, he was too austere, and they said Jesus was nothing but a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and they dismissed them both. And so they missed what God was doing. Last week's message was a warning that we should not miss what God is doing in our own day. And it ended with this phrase, Jesus, as he talked about how people dismissed John and how they dismissed him, he said, wisdom is proved right by her children. 
wisdom is proved right by her children, or wisdom is justified by all her children. That's verse 35 of chapter 7. In other words, wisdom is shown to be true based on the people who live by it. Let me give you an example. Okay, so there's a, there's a proverb that maybe you heard growing up, just an American proverb. Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Right? That's testable. If you look at people who get up early and go to bed early, you can identify if they have health and money and wisdom. If you see someone who goes to bed early and gets up early, and they are poor, sickly, and stupid, it means the proverb is not true. And on the flip side, if you note that generally speaking, people that go to bed early and people that rise early have money, are healthy, and are just incredibly smart about the way they live, then the proverb is justified by the children, if you will, by the people who follow it, by the people who live by it. And so Jesus is saying, do you want to know if John's ministry is valid? Do you want to know if my ministry is valid? Look at the people who follow us. Look at the people who follow us. Wisdom is justified by all her children. And then what Luke does, because he's such a great writer, is he shows you some children of Jesus' ministry. We're about to look at people whose lives were forever changed by what Jesus said and by what Jesus did. And so we're going to see Luke is saying, Jesus is real. Jesus is wise. You should follow him. I should follow him. Because look at the lives of the people who have followed him. Look at what he's done. And and before we look at the rest of chapter 7, which is where I want to spend most of my time, I want to point out the first three verses of chapter 8. Because what Luke does is he gives you one example with a lot of detail. And then at the end of that, he gives you three verses that says, this one example happened over and over and over again. So there are a number of instances where this is true. I want to show it to you clearly, but don't think this is the only one. Like I found one example, so it all must be true. He says there were many. So the first point of my message today is the fruit of wisdom. The fruit of wisdom. Look with me at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8. Luke says, Soon afterward, he, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Luke is describing the result of people who followed Jesus. He's already described how the 12 were called, how how Jesus called 12 apostles, and, and you may remember some of their names, Peter, John, and James. Those men left everything they had. Probably they were married already at that time. Quite possibly they already had children. And people like Peter left his fishing boat and his nets behind, that meant that he had no income. 
He had no way of knowing how he would pay for his kids to eat. He had no way of knowing how he would afford his clothing or his wife's clothing. He and the other apostles who followed Christ believed in him so completely that they left everything to follow him because they believed that their lives were being changed. And then he describes some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities that they also left everything to follow Christ. And they provided for Jesus and the apostles out of their means. One that they mentioned specifically, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, she, she was probably very wealthy. And she used her wealth sacrificially to support the life and ministry of Jesus and the people that followed him. And what Luke is saying is that it was normal when people believed and trusted in Jesus that they would give up everything and that they would sacrificially show their love by supporting Christ and spreading his ministry, preaching the good news of the kingdom in costly ways. See, the forgiven sinners are passionate worshipers. And so it makes sense that nothing else matters and you focus on Christ and even things that other people would say are enormously valuable, you no longer care about because the thing that drives your life, no matter what you do on a daily basis, the thing that drives your life is Jesus Christ and his message of forgiveness and the hope that comes with knowing that he's returning. So Luke just wants you to know, okay, I'm going to tell you one story vividly. And I hope it moves your heart, but I want you to know in advance, I could tell you many stories just like this, that this happened again and again and again. So you can see the fruit of wisdom and how many people had their lives changed, but we need to inspect that fruit a little closer. So my second point today is a sinner's love. And I want to encourage you to look with me at how one forgiven woman loved Christ with such affection. Read with me verses 36 to 39 in chapter 7. Scripture says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This woman shows such incredible affection for Christ that it makes many of us uncomfortable. In fact, the reality is, Jesus is showing his love really for all kinds of people here. When you read that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, you would almost expect that Jesus would turn that invitation down. You know, as I read the Gospels and you read about Pharisees, the Pharisees, they're like the villains of the story. You know, they are the people that we love to hate. They are religious hypocrites. They're the people that you can pick on because they pretend to be godly, but they're full of pride and arrogance, and they clearly 
don't know God. And yet Jesus, because of his radical love that was willing to love any kind of sinner, he was not only a friend of tax collectors and sinners, he was willing to eat with this Pharisee. And in that context, as Simon the Pharisee has kind of made a little bit of room for him in his house, this woman comes and shows amazing love for Christ. And here's the scene, okay? So, so when you would eat in a first century household, you would have a low table that would be sort of like the center, the hub of a wheel. And everyone, it was just very normally to recline, to lay down while you ate. It actually sounds great. It's like reclining on your couch while you just eat your you know, nachos or something like that. You're, you're comfortable. You're enjoying good food. But unlike us, instead of staring at a TV or something, their heads would all be in the middle, and they would look at each other, and they would talk. They, they would discuss, in this case, they would almost certainly be discussing the scriptures. Simon is a Pharisee who knows and loves the scriptures. Jesus is a known teacher, and so he invites this teacher into his house, and almost certainly they're going to have a religious conversation. But as they begin to eat, this woman who had heard that this, this dinner was kind of open comes into Simon's house and interrupts the dinner. Think for a moment about everything that would have happened as she walked in and began to show her love and affection for Christ. You know, I think probably as she was planning this, there would have been a mixture of fear. She, she wanted to go and, and show her thankfulness for Christ and what he was teaching and the hope that he had given her. But I'd be surprised if she thought, you know, I'm probably going to cry in this moment. That's probably going to happen. I, I don't think that she planned on, on being such an intrusion. She probably thought, I'm going to go quietly honor this man and thank him for the way that he's given me hope that God loves even me. And yet as she goes in and she brings this precious ointment, and, and we don't know how expensive this was. We know it was expensive. For some women, this kind of ointment was something that would cost like a year's wages. And there were cheaper versions, and the scripture doesn't say, but we know this, it was very precious to her. However costly it was, the dollar amount didn't really matter. The point was she was willing to pour this out at the feet of Jesus to honor him and and to show her love for him. And so as she approaches intending to anoint his feet, she begins to weep. And so there's this bursting smell of a powerful perfume. And then there's the wetness of the tears that she's sobbing so much. It's not just a trickle down her cheek, but it's actually falling on Jesus' feet. And so Jesus' feet are now wet with her tears and she begins to wipe them with her hair. The room would have been full of the sound of her sobs and the smell of the perfume. Conversation just would have died instantly. Her affection for Christ made people uncomfortable. I think we can experience that sometimes. If you've ever seen someone very passionate in singing, if you've ever seen someone listening to a sermon and they're just weeping, and you don't feel those things, You can think, man, something's wrong with that person. Or you can think, what's wrong with me? Why why is my heart so broken? Why can't I feel this excitement, these emotions? And as Simon 
looks at what's happening. Rather than seeing a woman who has been forgiven, rather than wondering what happened so that she loves Christ so much, why she's attracted to this teacher, Simon actually dismisses both the woman and Christ. Look with me at how Jesus calls out to Simon in this moment. So verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. In this moment, I believe Jesus actually has incredible compassion on Simon. The parable that he tells is explaining the reason for the woman's emotion that Simon does not understand. When he describes someone who owes 500 denarii, denarii is like a day's wage. So 500, that's that's a year and a little bit. You might say $50,000. And the other person owes 50. So so 50 days wages, a a little over a month. So just real roughly, you might say $50,000 and $5,000. You might say a year's wages and a month's wages. Both of them are large sums of money. This is not a small thing to forgive either of them. But if someone came and paid your mortgage, and someone came and paid your neighbor's car off, which of you would be more excited? Obviously, the bigger debt gives your heart reason for rejoicing, right? And that's what Jesus is saying to Simon. This woman understands how much of her debt has been forgiven. And she's showing the emotions that come with a burden that she couldn't lift coming off of her back. She knew that her sin was real. Jesus doesn't come and say, no, honey, it's not your fault. He doesn't come and say, you know what? Your your circumstances made it so you didn't have any other choices. He doesn't deny her sin and teach her that it's okay. He completely removes the burden of guilt and says that you have peace with God. You are forgiven. This woman had a reputation that preceded her. We don't know her sin. A lot of people have kind of assumed that she was a prostitute, but we don't know that. 
We do know that, that Jesus was willing to, to forgive prostitutes and that there were women of ill repute that found acceptance and love and forgiveness through Christ. But we don't know what this woman's sin was. All we know is that the whole town knew of what she did. And so whenever she went somewhere, people looked at her and associated with her whatever sin hung over her head. Everyone condemned her like Simon did. But Jesus forgave her. And her love shows that in the depths of her soul, she understood that forgiveness. And so she was overcome with love for Christ. But Simon had no affection for Christ. He was curious. He wanted to hear what he had to say. But he clearly didn't love him. And so Simon has not experienced the Savior's grace the way this woman has. And Jesus, continuing to teach Simon, again assures this woman of her complete forgiveness. So we've seen a Savior's call. Look at a Savior's grace, verses 47 to 50. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. They have already been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman She is a child of the wisdom of Christ. She is showing that Jesus' teaching is right. He has the power to forgive sins and to change lives. No set of rules can take a broken person and heal them. There's no self-help book or talk show host that can remove your guilt and change your heart. But Jesus can. He shows that not only is he a prophet, not only is he someone who speaks for God, but he has the authority to cancel the debt of sin. That's why we read from Romans 5 this morning. Joe read Romans 5, 1 through 11, that talked about how we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to try to become godly people. He didn't wait for us to become good. We couldn't do that. While we were still in sin, he died for us. And the scripture says, if we have been justified by his death, how much more will we be saved by his life? This woman shows that there is hope in the life of Christ. And and Jesus' parable here, it makes it really obvious. She's not forgiven because of her love. She loves because she was forgiven. Her debt was canceled. And so in joy, she loved the Savior who forgave her. And so I think the thing for us to walk away from as we look at this is where is your heart? Are you like Simon? You're curious about Christ and willing to listen to a sermon, but Monday morning he's not on your mind? Do you have a love for Christ that causes you to worship just sacrificially. You give financially, you give whatever you can 
to spread the hope of Jesus so that other people find the same forgiveness that you have? Or are you like Simon and and you have a small amount of room for Christ in your life, but you keep him sort of uncomfortably in one section of your house? You don't even display hospitality to him. The thing is, if we're honest, I think all of us have some Simon in us And the most important question is, what do you do? What do you do if your heart is cold? How do you move from having a small place in your life for Christ to being at his feet in tears, giving him everything you have? What do you do when you wish that you love Jesus more, but you don't? I think the answer is you look as long as you can and as hard as you can at what the Savior is like. You look at how he welcomed this woman, you know that he will welcome you in the exact same way. Jesus is not going to look at Simon and say, Simon, there's no hope. Jesus heart for Simon was that Simon would also experience this kind of radical forgiveness. The problem was Simon didn't think that he needed it. And so he had no love for Christ because Jesus hadn't done anything for him. But if you look at how amazing the love of Christ is, that he's willing to forgive the people with bad reputations, that he's willing to heal, that he's willing to welcome no matter your reputation, no matter what your life has been like up to this point, that Jesus will welcome you and you'll find peace and forgiveness because he's that great of a savior. If you look at Christ and you see people flocking to him, then trust the promises of scripture that that same forgiveness is available to you. If your heart is cold, confess that as sin. Say, Lord, I wish that my heart worshipped you with more enthusiasm, with more emotion, with real tears. I wish that I had the joy of salvation. I wish that I had the confidence that my sins are forgiven. God, give me a sense of freedom and joy. Let me know my sins so I can confess them. And give me the assurance of that kind of forgiveness. Lead me to a place of love like this woman had. And if you do that, then Jesus will say to you, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, Lord, our love often grows cold. And often we are blind to our own sins. I pray that you would open our eyes to the love of our Savior. Let us remember the way that you welcome anyone and everyone who calls on you and give us hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.